0: Hi, my name is Erfan Vafai with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, and I'm Vikram Baliga with Texas Tech University. And this is Jolly Green Scientists, a podcast where we digest research articles and findings from trade magazines pertaining to the green industry and regurgitate them for you. And this week, we're going to talk about using ladybugs, or correctly known as lady beetles or ladybirds, ladybird beetles, to manage uh, pests around the world using what's known as classical importation biological control. But before we jump into that, h- how are you doing, Vikram? Man, I think I'm good. I think I am. Have you had I'm time good. to recover from 2020? No. There's no, still I a mean, lot of 2020 radiation that's kind of, it seems like, still affecting 2021. And it only hits on Wednesdays have have you noticed that uh no for me okay. it's um for me it's every day uh oh every all the days yeah
1: yeah 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 well i i think i meant like at a national level like every wednesday in january was super weird super okay weird. We so had...
0: before we continue i just want to make sure we're not trying to push any kind of conspiracy theory here no this is just you're just speculating i'm just you're speculating just fun here about about <laughs> how wednesdays they yeah, land no, I, on wednesdays have they, they been la- landing on wednesdays okay yeah
1: so the first the the, the capital whatever riot yeah. thing was uh, the first wednesday the second wednesday wow. was an impeachment trial the third wednesday was an inauguration and the fourth wednesday was GameStop gate wow game stonks
0: <laughs> game stonks what's up tomorrow then i i don't know i kind of can't wait to find out actually aliens it's yeah, about maybe. time we get them aliens i'm surprised we didn't get that in 2020 you know yeah. i must say i was a little disappointed we did not get aliens in 2020
1: i feel like they probably showed up and they, even they were like uh i'm gonna
0: wait we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna hold off a, a year there there's just already so much in the news cycle that they they, they couldn't get to writing the alien article yeah yeah <laughs> they're, they're like, already this here push
1: this. And, and the aliens are like no y'all have your own thing Like you got, you're
0: clearly dealing with some stuff. Y'all figure this out. Yeah. And we'll be back maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we're jumping right back into, what do we do here, Vikram? We're jumping back into talking, digesting research articles, right? As it, as it pertains to specialty crops or green industry. And one of the the questions that uh, I occasionally get relates to releasing of beneficial insects or in particular lady beetles. Now, this is especially for people that buy products from green industry folks. This is the consumer. So if you have a home garden, which you may maybe maybe do, (laughs) do. or, or you have some plants and you're, you have some pests and you're wondering, can I just buy and release some lady beetles? This, this Episode is going to be uh, for you. If you're interested in classical importation biological control and what that even means, this is also for you. So, Vikram, are you familiar? I mean, I know you're a plant guy. And so I don't know how much importation or classical biocontrol y'all talk about or learn about. You
1: know, we do a little bit. And in the landscape sector, it is mostly in terms of ladybugs because, or I'm sorry, ladybird beetles. I don't want to be, you know, rude. We can't uh, call, Yeah. How dare you? I know. I know. But lady, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ladybugs for
0: simplicity, are We can
1: call them ladybugs. Sure. Right. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I agree. Let's go with that. It, no, it's, it's pretty common. You know, you can go to your local garden center and buy a tub of 500 ladybugs for $15 and, uh, you know, release them in your landscape. Uh, we talk about that, um, some in a, uh, augment, we, we, I think probably deal more with augmented biological control. We're like, okay. we're, we're using it as a, uh, uh, you know, kind of on the spot control measure. We do that with ladybugs and like in wasps and some other things, but we're not necessarily like trying to establish a population. We're like, we're going to use these instead of an insecticide. That's right. That's typically how we deal with it.
0: Yeah. so we call that inundative augmentative biological control where you're just trying to inundate the pest so much that. You know, your bio control doesn't really have a chance to really persist, right? It's just like you're putting so many of them in there that they're just gonna eat anything's there and then they don't have enough resources to really survive. right. Um and that's that's common. I think home gardeners they're either thinking of inundative inoculative, uh, inundative, augmentative biological control or the thinking of inoculative, which is, yeah, I'm gonna buy. 200 lady beetles, but I'm hoping they'll stick around and lay babies and and those babies will eat some more of my pests over time. And those are both examples of augmentative biological control. Now, this paper, uh, which is called Exotic Ladybirds for Biological Control of Herbivorous Insects, a review published in *Entomologia Experimentalis a Applicata in uh, 2020, so uh, just kind of recently, is a review paper written by people from all over the world. It's kind of cool looking at the author list. Yeah. Uh, from Canada to Italy, to uh, Switzerland, to Portugal, uh, these these people are uh, from all over that that helped uh, write this article. And they're talking a little more specifically about examples of importation or classical biological control. So that's when you have a new invasive pest that comes in. So for example, something that's been impacting both the landscape and a lot of our growers in Texas is a crepe myrtle bark scale. Mm-hmm. It's a scale insect pest of crepe myrtles. Uh, and it's from Southeast Asia, is kind of what they've what we've concluded based on some of the the research, and so one one strategy right is to go back to its native habitat and see what's managing it in its native range, right? Like why is it not considered a problem in Southeast Asia? Right. And finding those specific predators that are very important uh, for the suppression and basically importing them, bringing them in and releasing them. And so that's what classical or importation biological control is and it dates all the way back to some of the first early recorded examples being back in the 1800s where there were some uh, released for uh, aphids in New Zealand Uh, and that was in 1874 and then another kind of poster child of classical biological control is when lady beetles were released in 1888, in California, to manage the cottony cushion scale uh, in citrus trees in California, right. and basically, I mean, as you can imagine, uh, you know, you know, this, this particular pest was going to be a huge problem, a major expense to manage, and going to be an ongoing insecticidal battle. Mm-hmm. But with a few introductions of these lady beetles, um, they successfully. Suppressed this scale. I've been suppressing the scale um, and, and basically reduced any uh, any any need for insecticide spray. So it's pretty remarkable what classical and predation biological control can do.
1: Pretty, it's pretty fascinating. And, and reading through, you know, this paper, it, it was interesting to see that you know they've tried this with many species and many genera of, of ladybird beetles over the years. And I don't know why it surprised me a little bit, but it seems like the uh, a percentage of success
0: stories is is relatively low. Did you find that? Yeah. So they have 822 introductions of fully identified Coccinellidae, of and that's composed of 212 species and 68 genera. So like you said, like there was a very large diversity and very large number of recorded uh, introduction. Um, In the review paper, they go on to say that of these, 270 of those introductions led to a permanent establishment. So it's about 30, 30 30-ish percent, about a third. third. Yeah. And um, of that, about 14.6% or 120 of them actually uh, contributed to at least partial control of this target pest. So, yeah, I mean, uh, with a lot of these introductions, um, you know, a lot of them don't actually establish, you know, you release them and they're they're not there, Right. Uh, you know, a few months later. And in some cases, even if they do establish, they might not do a good job at actually suppressing your pest. And there are a couple, uh, you know, again, poster child examples of this. One is Harmonia mm-hmm. um, And another one is the seven-spotted lady beetle septumptopada, septumptopada, harmonia nice to say. Septunktopata, yeah. Um that yes, or or the seven spotted lady beetles <laughs> that um both of which uh, are, are introduced, exotic ladybird species, at least here in the US, and they're very voracious, right? They like they will they they eat a lot of aphids and they reproduce quickly, but you still see a lot of these pest problems, like they still it's like they they they're eating a lot, but they haven't solved the problem. And right. so one of the potential reasons is that all they've done is just outcompeted all the native ladybird species. That's so you've got know, like, let's say 10 native species and this harmonia comes in as doing the work of those 10 ladybird species, but has also excluded those other 10 ladybird species. So it ends up, you know, the, the net is that you get the same amount of aphids eaten all by one species instead of 10. Uh, you know, it's it, not considered good
1: well no <laughs> no that's that's not the idea well and it's interesting because we we're, we're talking about ecology in my class right now and uh oh, you're I'm,
0: teaching a class tell us a little bit about that what, what class is this
1: oh yeah i teach uh, introductory horticulture and it's um a, kind of a general science non-majors class i've got about 100 students this semester and
0: oh nice that's uh, exciting yeah but we, look at you you know
1: growing young minds uh, i trying, trying my best. Whether they're, be- whether they're better off for that or not, we'll find out. That's to be seen. Um, but we talked about ecology today yeah. and started talking about ecology today. And one of the things we discussed is that it, it, can, be too, it can be difficult for two species to fill the same ecological niche, right? Right. And absolutely. And so when, when we talk about this kind of control, that, that, I think that's really where that is super applicable in that, okay, we have X, Y, and Z pests or or prey sources, not necessarily pests, but like and th- the more aggressive of the two species, whether the introduced or the native, if they can outcompete, they kind of take over in that niche. But what's interesting is they that may not be better. It may just be a like like you're saying,
0: a lateral move. It's sort of like value neutral right. yeah, and this kind of brings up the whole question of is more diversity considered? better for our ecosystem, right? And so you might say that if you introduce exotic species, you are in a way increasing the diversity. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of studies showing that it's not necessarily more diversity isn't necessarily better for the stability of the ecosystem. There are certain types of diversity and interactions that you want to promote. And so in this type of instance, like just like what you said, what, what you want to aim for is what's referred to as niche partitioning. So if you, ha- if you have an introduction of another exotic species, you want to ensure that it's attacking maybe a different life stage of the target pest. Uh, maybe it, it uh, performs at a different time of day or a different part of the canopy of the tree. Maybe they come out at different times of year, so they're not directly overlapping. So it might have uh, a temporal or a spatial uh, niche, niche partitioning going on there. Right. And so, in this case, however, with Harmonia axyridis, it seems like it overlaps with a lot of the the particular niches of these other uh, lady beetles. As a result, you get some kind of competition. So you're going to have some kind of uh, positive negative interaction going on there. In this case, it's it's um, it seems like Harmonia is coming out on top.
1: It's pretty interesting, and it and it brings up also a, a conversation of <clears throat> I don't know because it. If you're displacing a native, but your introduced species feel like I, th- I think there's there's this uh, big movement towards nativism, right? Like the 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 species that was there first is the best species to be there, right? One hundred percent. Oh man, we're in trouble then. I, I yes, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, know, like, my parents are from Iran. Uh, mine are from know. India. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Then... <laughs> I know. But but the interesting thing is if you're like if you introduce a species and it's a either a net positive or even just a lateral move, like, yes, maybe you've displaced the, the indigenous uh, ladybird, but I, I don't know. It's an interesting thought that, I, for me, I would pr- prefer to, you know, I'm, I love my native plants and everything else, so I think, oh, we should preserve this native species. And so I guess there's unintended consequences sometimes when we do introductions of new species and things. And even if it's, um you know the same or better we may be causing unintended uh, negative effects on native fauna
0: yeah that's absolutely i think a very interesting point that they raise here in this review paper that you have this um this trend in in uh, introductions of exotic ladybird beetles where you know between the 1940s to 60s you have a whole lot of introductions of of ladybirds and then over time it actually d- decreases very drastically in the 2000s it is like not even a 10th of Mm. what they're releasing in the 1950s. And that's because there was a recognition of these potential negative impacts of introduced species and a move towards more specialist species introductions. So, you know, ladybirds are, a generalist, you know, they feed on a lot of different uh, things, or, or can anyway, uh, they can you know, even uh, engage in what's referred to as intra-guild predation. So that is if you have other predators, so you have another predator sharing a similar prey item, but you also feed on that predator, that is referred to as intra-guild predation. And that is not, not always ideal, right? There are situations sure. where that can still work for suppression of the pest, but uh, in many cases, is not considered ideal, and so there's been this push towards using more specialist natural enemies. So that's like parasitic wasps that are going to be highly specialized on the uh, on on the host that they use. And as a result, we'll have a lot less non-target impacts.
1: Well, and and I don't know if this is the right time to talk about cane toads or not. <laughs> it's always the right time to talk we about could, cane toads. But, but that's that's you know. I think that's on an extreme end of a, a horror story of what we're talking about, right? Like, you introduce this this biological control agent. They took, what, six males and females to, to Australia to con, um, control this cane moth. And they ate everything but the cane moth. Because, like, outside of their native habitat, they were like, ah, birds, lizards, dogs, I don't care, children. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like they, and and so that's that's an interesting, like... I think cautionary tale as we talk about these things, but it seems like there has been much more success and a lot we learned from that. I think uh, in some of these um, uh, insect introductions and things like that. Right.
0: Absolutely. And I love, um, you know, I I have a a son who's just over two years old now. So we're trying to find him some good cartoons to kind of watch that are going to, you know, at least get him a little think a little bit about science, you know, so that I can talk to him about, fun science things as he grows older. And so there's the new uh, Magic School Bus. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've seen it at all. And the very, I think it's the very first episode that talks about basically invasive species. You know, one of the kids introduces some exotic plant to the Galapagos Island, and then they go into the future and it's like, this plant has taken over the island, and to manage that plant, they've introduced like bunny rabbits, and to manage the <laughs> bunny rabbits, they've introduced that, da, 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 and it kind of like snowballs. And it's just a really, I thought was really amazing because it's like what you learn in first year ecology and conservation biology, yeah, uh, about you know, invasive species and about how you know they don't necessarily have their natural predators in this new habitat when they go there. And so, how can you find one that? that would target it without having non-target impacts and so on and so forth. And so we have this uh, case where with a lot of ladybird species, um, and by, by a lot, sorry, I should say, you know, a select few ladybird species that have been introduced, so such as Harmonia exeridus and Harmonia septumctopata, <laughs> that uh, they 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 have had lots of non-target impacts and, and as such has informed a lot of our future strategies as it, as it relates to uh releasing of of these ladybird beetles. Mm-hmm. And so they actually go into some uh, specific cases in this review paper, which is kind of interesting, of uh, talking about releases of these different ladybird beetles and then how it's impacted um suppression and/or diversity and and so on and so forth. So for example, in one of them they talk about in eastern uh Canada. The, the assemblage or the the species diversity of ladybird beetles was greatly modified after the arrival of four exotic species. So, first, there was this 14 spotted ladybird beetle that they introduced, then the seven spotted, and then uh, they also introduced Hippodamia variagata, which is another species, and lastly, um, Harmoniax rittus. And Harmoniax rittus is also known as a multicolor Asian ladybird beetle. That's, that's one of the common ones that we always see getting into homes, for example. Right. Because their main overwintering strategy, like they don't, they can't survive the winter without warm structures around. So they're, they're in a sense, like heavily urbanized or reliant on on humans, uh, especially in cooler climates. Right. Uh, And what they found was kind of over time, as they started to do these uh, surveys. So for example, there's this two-year survey they did in Manitoba, Um, that, that seven spotted lady beetle was about 60% of what they caught, uh, followed by, uh, one native species, but then the next one was Harmoniax aridus at about 14%. So you can see like the predominant species composition was these exotic species.
1: Uh, no, that, that is interesting that you find something that, uh, Competes so well in an ecosystem that yeah, it becomes the dominant species, it becomes the uh you know honeybees are in some ways another good example of this, where honeybees are prolific they're uh you know it's a different situation kind of you know they're not they're not um carnivores or predators or whatever, but they are so successful in a lot of ecosystems that you go out and you survey bees, you're going to find honeybees like that's 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 your your introduced main thing that you're finding now.
0: Right. Yeah. They are incredibly common and, and, and I guess very effective, I guess, I guess you could say. Yeah, sure. And so another part that, uh, I I think now most people, when they're asking about using ladybird species, they're not talking about, hey, I want to go to another country and grab some and bring them to our country. They're usually talking about augmentative biological control. You had mentioned, for example, that maybe at a local garden center or online, you can order some ladybird, uh, ladybird species um, and introduce them, say, to your garden, to your field or whatever it might be. Uh, so again, we call that augmentative biological control. They just kind of touch on that in this review and refer to another review paper that basically says that there are you know, um, very few instances, let's say, where they will actually um, establish. The, the, the challenge is that when they're released is usually they tend to disperse. Mm-hmm. Um, in high numbers so yeah. it's literally like you know shredding your money and throwing it into the wind because yeah watch 15 dollars fly money. away yeah. yeah 15 or, or more i or don't more. know yeah. yeah um and so and a lot of these later beetles are commonly collected, like they're not mass reared, they're um, commonly collected in overwintering sites. So Harmonia convergence is one that's that was has been commercially available uh, in the US for, for farmers for a while. But, uh, you know, as you can imagine, so they're in this overwintering site, they are collected, once released. Um, they're kind of disoriented and looking for their overwintering site again. They're not looking to forage. And so once released, they usually disappear to the surrounding habitats right away rather than really establishing in in the crop of interest. Right. Now, where there is like potential um, is, you know, there are some strains that have been artificially selected for that have very limited to no flight ability. Interesting. Yeah, you have like Harmoniax aridus, so this is our exotic ladybird species that is highly voracious, but also will disperse quite a bit. So, you know, there are these trains that might not be able to fly. And if you can find those, well, that'd be a good way of keeping them <laughs> from kind of running away from, uh, from, from your plot.
1: Now, now uh, uh, like a thing that people say a lot, especially in the home landscape setting where we're talking about this, is that you should go release your ladybird beetles at night um because apparently i or or what what is said commonly in the industry right you go to the garden center or buy them online whatever And what they'll say is oh no you should don't release them during the day release them at night because i don't know they're sleepy and they stay put is there any (laughs) truth to that
0: uh you know the only thing i could really think about relate to that is you know they they you know a lot of insects um might be using um the the polarization of the sun and, and, and um, sunlight basically to help guide, you know, their, their travel and or movement. Uh, and so if you release them at nighttime, they're much, much less likely per chance to disperse. They also do use a lot of visual cues. So also if there are no visual cues. They're a lot less likely to, to migrate, and move around as well. Right. as so a predatory insect. I I would expect, um, especially like ladybird species that they might have more limited dispersal at nighttime, okay. but. I would I would need to verify that with the literature. I mean, I'm not I'm not certain specifically for ladybirds.
1: No, it's interesting. Uh, and that may, and that makes sense to me. It's just one of those things that people say all the time. Uh, and you know, it, again, it it makes sense, but that doesn't mean that it's true. And that's an interesting
0: thing yeah, about it. Yeah. And it's I mean, the other thing is that also doesn't mean that they're going to be feeding at night when you release them. Right. So, that might just mean that you're letting them sit in your crop until they decide to fly the next morning, you know, versus like (laughs) releasing them and they just fly right away, you know? So you you
1: feel better about it, but
0: yeah, maybe, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, I I think ultimately, um, there's very limited data showing that releasing, especially species like Harmonia axorritus and, uh, convergence actually stay in the plot. They've released them and provide Good suppression. Now, there are some other lady uh, ladybird species, especially as they are released into greenhouses, or some of which are used in classical importation biological control that have established and you know been a huge success, right? And so we're not talking about those those ones because you know again there are there are extremes of this. Sure. Uh, I'm I'm addressing specifically the question that often comes from homeowners about buying and releasing lady beetles in their own gardens for management of say aphids right and, and you know this review paper even does a nice little breakdown of you know how many releases were made of lady beetles for each type of um, like pest and you know if they established and how many of those then provided successful control so you know there are for example like ossaria perchassi which is that cottony cushion scale there's a number of uh, sorry, there's 37 uh, introductions that became established out of the 53 that were done. So that's yes. a 70%. I mean, that's yeah. pretty high. And the number of introductions that contributed to partial, substantial, complete control is about 62%. So like, again, incredibly high. When we look at aphid species, uh, for example, the release using Harmonia axyridis based on the literature, there's been 10 introductions, 4 out of those 10 established, so 40%. And zero percent provided partial, <laughs> substantial, complete success. Uh, and again, that's because like it was really hard. I mean, maybe they're eating a lot of aphids, but there were still a lot of aphids around, and so it seems like all they did was really displace the native ladybirds, but you still had the problem, <laughs> right? Right, which is not not
1: ideal. Let's no, than ideal. that is
0: not ideal. That is not ideal, that is not what we want. So, the
1: the million-dollar question: if a homeowner wants to practice biological
0: control in their in their landscape should they go by ladybugs? so what i would suggest to a homeowner is to practice what's referred to as conservation biological control that's the third uh type that we have not yet mentioned or, or commonly you know written about type of biological control and that is the conservation of naturally occurring predators and or natural enemies so you do that by having diverse habitat by having um, some type of plants that are always uh, providing some kind of pollen or nectar throughout the season. So you want to provide continued resources throughout the season, um, and you know just being being cautious of things like monocropping or over fertilizing that can help um, help help uh, promote pest populations, or you know don't necessarily plant things that get really high numbers of a particular pest over and over again every year, you know, try and find some cultivars or plants that, uh, appear to repel and or resist insects a little bit more, uh, in your particular area. And so through that strategy, I mean, that's going to be considered the most effective, cost effective, mm-hmm. um, and, and perhaps best strategy in the long term, than to rely on the consistent purchasing and releasing of natural enemies. And and just to touch on that too, like usually when people are wanting to release lady beetles uh, in their garden is usually because they already have really high numbers of pests. Absolutely, yeah. What's really important is when we're talking biological control, it is a numbers game, right? So when we're talking insecticides, I mean, it's like it's like dropping a nuke, right? So it's going to kill 99.5% <laughs> right, <yeah. like> <laughs> of the population. When we're talking releasing natural enemies, we're talking about wolves eating sheep. Right? If you have 10 million sheep and you release 100 wolves, it's going to take a while for those wolves to eat those sheep. Right, <laughs> right. So, and, and in that same time, those sheep keep reproducing. Yeah. And so if you already have very high populations, it's usually a little too late to rely on a release of a natural enemy to save your crop. Yeah. At that point, you're either hand crushing like mechanical control. You might be hand removing those plants, bagging them and getting them out of there. Or if you're not averse to insecticides, maybe you start off with some insecticidal soaps or oils, and then working your way up to uh, more hardcore insecticides after that.
1: Uh, and, yeah, and, and what I'm hearing is is sort of what we talk about a lot, that gosh, at the end of the day, integrated management wins every time, right? Having a good plan and working in the environment and working with all of the tools available yeah. um, uh, is really your best bet. and. While this may be a Band-Aid in some ways, like in some cases an insecticide might be, if you approach it from an integrated standpoint, um, you can actually have big impacts. And just the, the, those predator species are there, right? Like in most, most ecosystems, there's some kind of predator species. All right? And like you said, you encourage them, you in adjust your environment to favor them over the, the pest, and you're 10 steps ahead uh, to begin with.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's a lot uh, easier said than done. You know, I think the next question people usually ask is, you know, then what do I plant? You know, do marigolds, (laughs) do marigolds, I heard, you know, repel insects or they attract predators. You know, I've heard that, uh, you know, the, you know, whatever type of plants that they've heard, you know, have a very important role within a home garden. And it's hard to answer that for everywhere because it's all dependent on context. That's, Ecology is all about the context. Right. And so we're talking about marigolds. Yeah, in some situations, it may be beneficial. In other situations, it might not at all. And what's most important is that for your garden, the type of plant composition that you have, you have to make the types of observations on what plants get what pests, which one gets it earlier. Do those pests then go to my other plants? Uh, And then which ones attract predators? You know, which ones seem to attract them the most? Uh, and are they predators of the insects that, you know, appear to be attacking all my other plants? So over time, you are changing your environment, manipulating the plants in your garden to best suit your desire, which is like <laughs> very little pests uh, and to make it look beautiful.
1: Yeah, or
0: Or both. I'm team both. <laughs> As am I. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Um, so we're back into. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call this season two. The yeah. first episode of season two. Absolutely. And uh, we hope you subscribe to this podcast. Uh, tell your friends about it if you think this is something that may be of interest to them or not, because maybe you don't know all of their interests, and maybe when they listen to it, it'll re- be the one thing they realize that they needed their whole life, and they never knew it. They, they never just never, that. and you provided that opportunity for them. So I want to thank you all so much, and we will talk to you again uh, in a fortnight. My name is Airfan Vafai with Texas A&M Afterlife Extension. And I'm Vikram Baliga with Texas Tech University. Take care.